why it's so important for veterans to understand their rights in the context of a disability claim. Sure. The trick is that when veterans make a disability claim, they have to understand how the system works in order to have any reasonable likelihood of success. And it's actually fairly straightforward. There are three elements to a veteran's disability claim. There has to be some event or illness or other happening in service. There has to be a current medical condition, whether it's mental or physical. And there has to be a medical connection between those two things. That's the basic elements. And once you know that, then you can start to look at, okay, what medical problems is the veteran having now? And how do they relate back to service? And how are we going to get a medical opinion that ties those together? Welcome to the Victory Over VA podcast. A podcast about empowering veterans to overcome denied disability claims. Each week, we deliver critical insights to help you understand the disability process, veterans' benefits, and how to take control of your legal rights. Now here's your host, Tony Francis Jackson. So, welcome to our discussion of the Tenth Commandment of Winning Over the VA. This is our podcast, Victory Over VA, and today we're going to talk about the importance of knowing your rights. This is a podcast for veterans. I'm Francis Jackson. I practice veterans benefits law. This is Christian Terrison, who's an attorney in our office and an expert in these matters also. And so today what we're going to talk about is the importance of knowing your rights in the VA context. All right. Well, to start off with, I guess, can you just begin by explaining for our, our viewers why it's so important for veterans to understand their rights in the context of a disability claim? Sure. The trick is that when veterans make a disability claim, they have to understand how the system works in order to have any reasonable likelihood of success. And it's actually fairly straightforward. There are three elements to a veteran's disability claim. There has to be some event or illness or other happening in service. There has to be a current medical condition, whether it's mental or physical. And there has to be a medical connection between those two things. That's the basic elements. And once you know that, then you can start to look at, okay, what medical problems is the veteran having now? And how do they relate back to service? And how are we going to get a medical opinion that ties those together? Gotcha. So when you have a veteran who doesn't have a clear understanding of their rights in the disability claims process, what have you seen crop up as some of the problems? Well, it can go kind of one of two ways. One thing that happens is that veterans make claims for things that are not related to service. And obviously, because those don't qualify, they get turned down. But it's not uncommon. For example, years ago, we had a gentleman who 
applied for service-connected benefits for PTSD. And there was no question that he had service-connected, sorry, that he had PTSD. The problem was that it wasn't actually connected to his service. His service had been relatively uneventful, and the PTSD sprang from a post-service auto accident in which he was driving and his son was killed. It was a terrible thing and left him with terrible PTSD, but for better or worse, it wasn't connected to his service and therefore he wasn't entitled to veterans' benefits for it. And I feel like it would be important to mention that if that same accident had happened, you know, while he was in service, while he was on active duty, would that have been a different outcome? Oh, absolutely. As long as you are currently on active duty, essentially anything that happens to you during that period of time, absent some weird exceptions about being AWOL for long periods and so on, but anything that happens to you on active duty is technically service-connected. Again, there are a couple of weird exceptions, but 38 U.S.C. 105 essentially says that anything that happens while you're on active duty is presumptively service-connected. And actually, speaking of that, are there any other key rules, regulations, etc., that you think our veteran viewers or you know their friends and, and family should know about? There are actually a lot. There are too many to list, but let me give you some examples. It's almost like it's a full-time job. <laughs> Almost. Let me give you a couple of examples. There are, for veterans who served in Vietnam, and that has now been extended to those who served in the Navy offshore in Vietnam within the territorial waters, a series of presumptions so that conditions such as diabetes, lung cancer, actually several cancers, a, a whole list actually of, of conditions are presumed to be connected to service. So if you served in the armed services during that period of time and you were in Vietnam physically or on a ship off the coast, then those conditions can automatically be connected to service. Basically, you have to show that you have the condition and that you served in the specified period in the specified place. Happily, there is a major new piece of veterans litigation, the PACT Act, which extends that presumption to those who served in Thailand and on uh, raids into Laos and Cambodia. So a number of veterans who previously were denied benefits because their service did not physically take them into Vietnam, even though they were serving in Southeast Asia, uh, have now been uh, included within the presumption for eligibility for the Asian Orange-related diseases such as diabetes or lung cancer or whatever. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the PACT Act. How often do big changes happen in the world of veterans' disability regulations and rules? How often are those changes happening? And where can veterans learn about those changes? Well. They happen surprisingly often. I've been doing veterans law since we took on our first case in 1991 and won it in 1992. And I have to say that there has been some major change, of, uh, either procedural or substantive change, 
almost every year that I've practiced. It has been amazing to me. Before starting doing veterans law, I did a lot of work in social security disability. And that case law really has not substantively changed in the 40 years that I've been practicing. But veterans law is entirely different. It seems like every year there's some major change, uh, whether it's legislation, as with the PACT Act, or whether it's uh, a procedural interpretation. Uh, for example, the extension of benefits to Vietnam veterans who served on ships off the coast of Vietnam. What happened was, originally, the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, which is effectively the highest reviewing court for veterans' claims, found that the presumption for exposure to Agent Orange and therefore the presumption for things like diabetes and lung cancer did not apply to folks off the coast, what were referred to as blue water sailors, unless they could show that they actually went ashore in Vietnam. But a few years later, uh, about three years ago now, the court uh, reversed itself, had, had another case, uh, reversed itself, and concluded that in fact blue water sailors were eligible and Congress then finally stepped up and got into the act. And what they did essentially was to reduce the scope of coverage for benefits that had been announced by the court, which was unfortunate. But, you know, that was a, if you'll pardon the bad pun, a sea change in terms of uh, eligibility for benefits for blue water sailors. Then that kind of stuff, uh, there's something every year that is a major change in either eligibility or the way benefits are approached. The, uh, the court has on several occasions, the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims, has on several occasions interpreted particular sections of the VA regulations to apply much more broadly than the Veterans Administration was applying it prior to the court decision. So there's been a, a consistent theme in veterans law that everything changes. And in terms of how veterans can keep up with that, obviously contacting an attorney or agent or veteran service officer who represents veterans is a good way to keep up with the changes. But just generically, most of the changes can be pretty easily identified on the internet by going to the Veterans Benefits site run by the Department of Veterans Affairs or by the sites for other organizations that are interested in supporting veterans. Mm -hmm. the, the veterans community as a group is pretty savvy and so anytime something new comes out there'll usually be a lot of uh, discussion about it on the internet and it's usually pretty easy to find. Mm -hmm. So for a veteran who's looking to educate themselves and get a, a more thorough understanding of their rights in this whole process, where would you recommend they start? Well, I would encourage people to go to our website, veteransbenefits.com, but there are really so many places you can go. There are a number of veteran-run websites. There are a number of private websites that uh, attempt to support veterans, and I would just go and type in your question on the internet and see what kind of response you get. Obviously, 
with all of these different kinds of claims, there are variations and permutations about exactly which regulations apply and how they apply. And, mm -hmm. But if you are willing to spend a little time on the internet, you can probably get a pretty close approximation of what rules apply in your particular case. And the VA's own website, Department of Veterans Affairs website, is, is really quite good. It has pretty much all the basic information about veterans' eligibility for benefits. And earlier you had mentioned a little bit about how you know, a veteran's representative, somebody who specializes in this type of work, can also help in terms of you know, educating and answering questions. Can you talk a little more about what we do as representatives? Too? Sure. Veterans' representatives help in a lot of ways, but the primary role, if you will, is to guide the veteran through the very bureaucratic processes that are attached to these veterans' claims by the Department of Veterans Affairs and explain what are realistic expectations. For example, right now, if you appeal a case, a decision by the regional office in your area that denied benefits or set an unreasonably low uh, rating for a benefit, and you appeal that to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, you are likely to be looking at a four-year wait just to get a hearing or to get your case decided without a hearing. Sadly, the, the VA keeps telling people that if you appeal a case to the board and you go by way of direct review or evidence submission, neither of which entitle you to a hearing, that will move your case faster. In reality, it doesn't seem to work that way. The board is obligated by law to handle cases in docket order, meaning in the order in which they come to the board. And so uh, the suggestion that adopting the evidence lane or the direct review lane instead of the hearing lane um, will be quicker does not seem to be materializing. They, there may be modest variations in the time you wait, but they are modest. They're, it's not like you would wait two years for direct review and four years for hearing. It, it's nothing like that. One that is something that I've seen come across my desk in a number of cases that I'd just like you, you to comment on is the impact of understanding your rights when it comes to communication with the VA, both in receiving notices from the VA and also you know, the things that need to be filed by certain deadlines, et cetera, with the VA. Sure. Um, can you talk a little about that? Sure. One of the biggest difficulties that veterans who are trying to handle their own claims in front of the VA have is that they don't understand the structure of the process. So there are currently two sets or streams of claims in front of the VA. There are older ones that are now referred to as being in the legacy system. And there's the current system, which is referred to as the AMA, uh, which stands for the Appeals Modernization and Improvement Act. That um, went into effect in 2019. So any case where the decision by the rating decision, uh, the rating office was issued after February 19th uh, of 2019 will automatically be in the AMA system. And 
what many people fail to understand is how the alternatives in that system apply. Basically, within the AMA, once you have a rating decision on your claim, that's the initial decision on your claim, then you have choices. You can file for something called higher level review, you can file what's called a supplemental claim, or you can file a notice of disagreement asking your case uh, be sent to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, either in the direct review lane, or the evidence lane, or the hearing lane. So you've got this panoply of choices. And unfortunately, a large number of veterans do not understand the significance of making those particular choices. The VA constantly tells people that the fastest resolution will come in the direct review lane. And that is true to the limited extent that there will be a relatively quick decision in the um, higher level review lane. But the problem is, if you opt to have higher level review, your odds are very poor. Um, there's only about a one in 10 chance that you will get any benefit from the higher level review. And when you do, it's typically simply a direction to go back to go and start over with the rating office um, to uh, get a new look at your claim. But more than that, what happens with both higher level review and the supplemental claim process is that if you opt for one of those alternatives and you don't succeed, you're now further behind than if you simply applied to go to the Board of Veterans Appeals in the beginning. And, you know, everyone is always concerned about getting their claim done as soon as possible. Unfortunately, the quicker alternatives are usually the least helpful. You know, I sometimes joke with veterans when they are concerned about speeding up their claim that I can get them a quick denial. The hard part is getting them a quick win. And so it's really important to understand how the system operates and where you have the best opportunity to get a good result on the particular claim with the particular facts that you have. And in dealing with you know, uh, veteran clients, what are some of the, the most common and persistent sort of myths regarding veterans' rights in the disability process that you hear? Oh, goodness. Well, the saddest one of the ones I hear Hmm. is that the VA is out to delay or deny until you die. And I know there are people that genuinely believe that. My experience with the VA is that the delays are not usually intentional. It's simply that this is a huge bureaucracy with not enough people to do the volume of claims that have been dumped on them and poor support. They're only now in the 2020s getting um, something approaching decent computer systems. You know, for years when we asked for a copy of a veteran's files, we would get a stack of paper. Uh, sometimes we'd come in a banker's box because there was so much, but it would just be this unsorted, unindexed stack of paper that the VA had accumulated about this veteran over a period of years. But, uh, you know, the Resources are slowly being developed by the VA, and Congress has grudgingly 
put money into computer systems for the VA. But the problem is that it's not that individual employees at the VA are out to get you. I know there are people who firmly believe that's going on in their case, and there may be some rare cases where that's actually true, but that's not the majority. And there, there are lots of other myths as well. You know, I can't count the number of veterans who have come to me and said, well, you know, I have this very clear case. The VA never should have turned me down. I don't understand why they turned me down. And all I need is for you to explain it to them, and they'll fix it. Well, it doesn't usually work like that. Usually if the VA turns the claim down, it's because there's some important piece of information that's missing, and then we have to figure out what that piece of information is and how to get it and how to submit it to the VA and what step in the process will get it in front of the VA in the fastest and most effective way. And unfortunately, as I was mentioning earlier, fastest and most effective are not necessarily the same in the VA system. In a lot of cases, a, a veteran would be better off to submit a request for a hearing in front of the Board of Veterans' Appeals, grit his or her teeth and acknowledge that they're going to wait three or four years to get that hearing, but recognize that they have a higher likelihood of success at the Board than they would on higher level review or submitting a supplemental claim or asking for direct review at the Board. And that's really hard for a lot of people to accept. You know, it seems unreasonable on its face that it should take that long to get an effective review. But the problem is this is a complicated system of laws and regulations. Applying it is therefore complicated. And the folks who are applying this system at the regional office level are mostly not particularly well-trained in the law. They're not lawyers, they're not paralegals. They are people with, in some cases, high school education, some cases college, but they've been trained to do things in a particular way, sort of a, a cookbook approach, as opposed to understanding the, the conceptual underpinnings of the system. And so they tend to be very literal about whether your case fits in this pigeonhole. Whereas at the board, you at the very least uh, get your case in front of a judge who is a lawyer, has legal experience, usually has significant experience in VA law before they become a judge. Not always, but usually. And the result is that the analysis at the board, whether you win or lose, will typically be much better than at the regional office. Now, there are exceptions. You know, if you have a really clear claim, say you're in the Middle East and you're driving along in a Humvee and an IED goes off and you're on the outside of the vehicle and where the damage is and you lose part of your leg, the VA can see that. You know, it's obvious to them you lost part of your leg. They can rate that. You will not usually have a lot of trouble getting benefits granted. But if you're in that same Humvee on the other side and your only physical injury is 
you got kind of a big bruise on the side of your head, the fact that you actually got a traumatic brain injury is not readily apparent, and the VA often will have trouble both with rating that and then with rating it at the proper level. And it's, you know, it's those more challenging cases that tend to need help. One uh, myth that, that I've seen too that I was wondering if you could comment on is the folks, you know, there is no limit on the number of times you can apply for benefits and a lot of folks when they get denied they'll say, oh, I don't want to waste time appealing, I'll just reapply. What rights are they missing out on there? What are folks giving up when they choose to reapply instead of going for the appeal? Well, what happens, I mean, just think about it in context. If you apply and you get turned down by your local regional office and then you simply reapply, all that's happening is you're going back to the same people asking them to do the same thing, and odds are they're going to do the same thing. They're going to turn you down again. And the risk, if you do that, is twofold. First, you have a low likelihood of success because they've already looked at this claim and turned it down. Second, you lose the potential for past due benefits. So. The way the system works is that in most instances, there are some exceptions, but in most instances, if you file a veteran's benefits claim today, your benefits will start potentially from the first day of the first full month after this. So essentially the first of next month would be the date your claim would run from in terms of past due benefits. So say you make a claim, you wait six months, 10 months, whatever it is, you get turned down. If you just go and reapply, you've got a new claim, and the time you've already spent waiting doesn't get counted. On the other hand, if you make that claim and get turned down and you appeal, then if you win on the appeal, the benefits that the VA will ultimately pay you when they make the favorable decision will go all the way back to the first day of the first month after you filed the claim. So in our example here, at least 10 more months of benefits. And unfortunately, for people who just churn and churn with the same claim over and over again at the regional office, they just lose the opportunity to get the benefits that they would have gotten if they'd spent the same amount of time and just gone either supplemental appeal or appeal to the board depending on their circumstances. And it's just sad that so many people get this advice that, oh, don't appeal, it takes too long, just file a new claim. You know, and uh, unfortunately that's a myth that we don't seem to be able to stamp out. It just recurs and recurs. Mm -hmm. um, well, we're, we're coming up on the, the end of the episode, but did you have any last comments remarks, key information that you think veterans should know on this, this issue of, of understanding and knowing their rights? Well, you know, there's no one-size-fits-all kind of advice, but the important thing is to inquire about possible benefits because 
My daughter, Alexandra, who does a lot of this work with us, was at a hearing in, oh, I think Massachusetts a couple of years ago, just before COVID. And we had just taken on this claim. The gentleman was already scheduled for a board hearing. So we were rushing around to getting all the pieces together and getting it all put together for the board and hadn't really had time to go through his entire file with uh, the care that we could with a little longer time. But one of the things that came up is he had diabetes and he hadn't talked to us about diabetes at all, but my daughter in her preparation obviously was going through all his possible problems and diabetes came up. Now, this is a gentleman who had been in Vietnam, had served, had been in the, in the army, was physically on the ground doing patrols out in the Puckies in Vietnam and had severe diabetes. No one had told him, despite his various contacts with the VA, no one had ever told him that he was presumptively eligible for service connection for diabetes due to his exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam. And it's that kind of just lack of basic information about what potential benefits are out there for you that is so frustrating because you know, the VA exists and it has lots of things that it does and it does a lot of things well, including putting out a fair amount of information about benefits, but they don't always convey the critically important piece of information to this particular veteran. You know, it's like my dad, after he came back from World War II, later on he developed some fairly severe health problems in his 60s. And he got good medical treatment at the VA, but they never told him, when he got to the point he couldn't back, go back to work, they never told him that he was likely eligible for benefit payments probably at the 100% level because his service-connected disabilities kept him from working. They never told him about those benefits. And, you know, I mean, I was just a kid then, but it wasn't until I started practicing VA law many years later that I realized that he and my mother probably could have gotten significant VA benefits and had a much less of a financial struggle as a result. All right. Well, thanks very much. This has been Victory Over the VA, our 10th Commandment episode, wrapping up the Ten Commandments series. Today was obviously, Thou Shalt Know Thy Rights. And please tune in next time when we're back again. Every week. Take care. Thanks for joining us this week on the Victory Over VA podcast. Make sure to visit our website, veteransbenefits.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show while you're at it. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our free consultation to see how we can help you with your denied claim. Simply go to veteransbenefits.com and fill out the form. You fought for us. Now let us fight for you. And be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.